The following episode of Boris and Matt Weekly is dedicated to the memory of Grant Wall. The champion on his feet, challenger coming to. Oh, Jonathan back blocked, counter, waist lock, single leg into a double leg. It's Claudio. Three, four, five. Are you kidding me? And his, his legs are showing no sign of slowing down. What? He tapped! He tapped! He tapped! New champion! New champion! Who did this tap? Tyson McKinn! And two! Sunday night's main events, Ring of Honor Final Battle Aftercast. That is the podcast after the show where we are going to be chatting all things Final Battle. I'm Boris and I am joined by Matt. Bonjour. How's everybody doing out there? We hope you're doing well. We hope your Monday morning's getting off to a good start. If you're listening to this right away, Boris, I'm so happy to hear that song. What an excellent choice for the theme song, buddy. So we're not going to do too much dilly-dallying here on this episode of BAM. We're not going to spend too much time talking about anything else other than Ring of Honor Final Battle. Having said that, Boris, we got some big news today, and I can tell you got a rant just a-bubbling under the surface. So there are big rumors that Twitter owned by one Elon Musk, don't you know, is expanding its character limit from, what is it, 280 right now? Something like that. 280 characters per tweet. They're expanding that to 4,000 characters per tweet, which is probably going to be the end of me on Twitter. Uh, Boris, how do you feel about Twitter expanding to 4,000 characters, potentially? Well, I don't even know where to get started on the whole Twitter thing, right? So... I've seen some absolute asinine stuff coming from people in regards to people losing their jobs, you know, like it just opens up a huge can of worms for me. Um, you know, like I work in the Working, tech industry. Like directly in that field, right? Yeah. I can't get into too much detail for many reasons, right? Um, but, you know, all I can really say is I've been on that uh, uh, path where Literally everyone in the world knows about your job, knows the business about your job, and it's all ha, 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 ha games because people are getting fired, that company sucks, blah, 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 right? You know, you got to think of the people. These are people with families. We're in the holidays right now. People are losing their jobs. Literally today, I know it's a fact that more people got laid off from Twitter as they're not signing up for the insane plan that Elon has for Twitter 2.0. I've been there i've been in a company 
when they say, let's just rewrite the entire platform and release something in record time. I was there, and let me tell you, we honestly did all of BlackBerry 10 in 12 months. It was an absolute insane release. Code was rewritten in under a year. So, you know, the, the pressure that these people are on is just absolutely insane. And sometimes just seeing the comments of like, oh, these employees work four hours a week or something like that. Yeah, no, you don't. The stresses of the tech industry is insane. There's a reason why the tech industry, you know, gets those quote unquote perks, why we get breakfast, why we get, uh, you know, not just breakfast, but all food, why we get um, dry clean service and this and that. Because they want you to essentially live in the office. That's what a lot of people do. And then it just, you know, just seeing some of the comments from people uh, who just have zero clue, zero idea what the hell is going on. It just really gets to me, especially when, you know, on top of all of that, you're literally concerned whether you're going to have a job in a day, two, or a week, or whatever it is, right? It just, it just really gets to me. But from a just a technical point of view, they're essentially. What I'm seeing from Twitter, from what I, you know, stuff, um, is they're essentially going to be more of a blog type site moving forward. Yeah, basically like mini Substack, stack. Mini Tumblr. Yeah. Mini Tumblr. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this. Um, I'll give it a chance. But like my whole thing with Twitter was I, I'm not going to just quit just because Elon Musk took it over, although I am not enthused about it obviously but once my personal timeline changes a lot of people said this like my timeline hasn't changed twitter's still doing the exact same thing for me that it was five months ago so whatever i'm okay with it that's about to change overnight apparently right once once this four thousand character thing happens i'm gonna open twitter one day and everyone's going to be long form telling me that they've, you know, eaten a cinnamon butter, taken a poop or whatever the joke about Twitter that we want to choose today is, right? So I don't know, man. Can you um, imagine the internet wrestling community with 4,000 characters? No, legitimately, that's actually why I'm like, I'm going to quit Twitter because that's a lot of, since I've joined Sunday night's main event radio, my algorithms have been way more wrestling focused than they were before because I'm in these Facebook groups. I'm interacting with so many wrestling fans every single day that my social media is, thinks I'm more obsessed than even I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, I, 4,000 uh, characters worth of wrestling fan is probably going to get me off of Twitter. Although, having said that, on our Sunday night's main event accounts, it might lead to more and better discussion. On some platforms, I, I like the long form. I like that we have Facebook posts that are well thought out. We have people who contribute a lot of good things. So it might not be a death knell. Yeah, here's my question. This is some this is some conspiracy uh, shit now. Do you think Twitter is being tanked? Do you think Elon is trying to ruin Twitter on purpose to uh, benefit the oligarchs of the world to for whatever fucking reason it might be? Who knows? I cannot comment on that. <laughs> I really can't. Like I, I would, I have my opinions, but just for NDA reasons, I cannot comment yeah. on any of that. Fair enough, brother. Uh, fair enough, brother, brother. So yeah, I, I just, just in asking that question, I think in my opinion's a little bit clearer. I wonder, I, I wonder and worry because Twitter was legitimately, and it, it sucks that we have to use the word was maybe 
But Twitter, Twitter is at this point legitimately a, a, a highly valuable social tool. It has helped people being oppressed. It has helped people uh, during wars. You know what I mean? All this shit. And if Twitter dies, it's bad for society. Though Twitter can be annoying and there are some uh, bad faith actors on it. If Twitter dies, it's fucking bad for society, man. It's not good. It's not what you want. As trash as as bad as Twitter can be, um, I agree 100%, right? Like, at the end of the day, it has helped the oppressed. It has helped the voiceless. It has given a voice to those people, right? Like, let's remember the the Egypt uh, stuff, right? Like, it, it's helped us in those weird times. The day-to-day of Twitter, though, is, is is look at the internet wrestling community. And I always look at any yeah. fandom, not just wrestling. You should see the comic book Comics, stuff. yeah. It's <laughs> Real sometimes unreal. Star um, Wars. Yeah, I, I oof, like yeah, I like I don't know why I based my free time activity uh to do podcasting in a in these fandoms. It's it's actually hilarious. If you really know me and know how private of a person I actually am, it's actually hilarious. Um but yeah, it just you know, because we see that stuff every day, we kind of forget how Twitter has um benefited us and helped us and it might not have helped Matt and Boris, but it has helped people with no voice literally when their regime is going bonkers on them. Yeah, even like Twitter's given me information and a laugh over the course of the last uh, eight years, I think I've been on it, 10 maybe, eight to 10 years. And yeah, I've never like literally have not benefited 1% professionally, uh, like in any way. Some people have. That's great. I just like I don't I, I've never been into the to the tweeting. I'm not a huge social media guy. That's one thing that I need to get better at uh, as I try to become a content creator. I'm more about the content than advertising my uh, own face and arse. Anyway, there's going to be a lot of people advertising their own arse with 4,000 characters, buddy. It is going to be annoying. I feel for the social media managers of the world who are now going to be just inundated with all these annoying brands, like all these asks. Tell Every every tweet's going to be like, you, every, every ad you see, Pepsi is going to be fucking every, you know what I mean? Like details about the, the new Pepsi Zero, clear Pepsi. Like it's just going to be quite annoying to scroll well, through Twitter. What's interesting with this is that a lot of people, us included, when I make, I no see. I don't think it's a secret to anyone, but I control ninety nine percent of the social media aspect of SNME. Right? That's why it's sometimes a little quiet. You can only do so much um, in terms of social media stuff. But you know, my training in social media, and 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 I've done this for years. Right? Like I, I've built brands off of social media, and one of the things is that I've always based everything from social media off of Twitter because of the character limit. So, you know, you you only have X amount of characters, so you want to repeat the same messaging, the same branding, the same whatever, um, because, you know, it, it, that's how you imprint it in people's head. We've talked about this, um, you know, WWE being an expert at this. There's a reason why. As much as we laugh at it, we say WWE Universe, stupendous WrestleMania, etc., right? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people and a lot of brands base their social media blueprint off of the way Twitter works because it is a lower character count. So by expanding that, you're going to have you're going to be seeing a lot of brands redo their social media and things like that. It's the old Marge Simpson. A part of us all. A part of us all. A part of us all. <laughs> Sorry Lisa to repeat myself. But you... 
Oh, no, it's true. It, it uh, I, we'll remember these Vince McMahon buzzwords. We'll wake up in a cold sweat at 3 a.m. screaming the bu- universe. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh, they're deep ingrained in us. And that happens for a reason anyway. So, yeah, that's tech talk with Boris and Matt. Just wanted to touch on that because I saw that five minutes ago and I know it pissed you off greatly. So, yeah, buddy, let's uh, let's take a little pause. I'm going to get a coffee. And then, big homie, we got to talk about Final Battle, Ring of Honor 2022. All right, but before we get to ROH, there's one last thing I want to quickly touch on. Um, a lot of people who listen to these shows have been listening to the World Cup date. means a lot. Thank you so much. Honestly, it was, just, it was this random thought that I had like 5 in the morning uh, that we'd be doing these shows. Um, you know, I wanted to do it every day that there was World Cup games. Real life got in the way. And this weekend, Phil and I were 100% planning to do stuff. But um, I'll talk about it more on the World Cup date shows. But it was a little hard to talk football, knowing that someone that I personally worked with, someone who I respected, someone who I had great conversations with, just suddenly passed away in Qatar. Um, Matt, I know you heard about this, and that's Grant Wall, super famous American journalist, really one of the first journalists who really put soccer on the map saying this is legit and he helped so many people. Everyone in the soccer community has a Grant Wall story including someone who's not even in the soccer community. He has a Grant Wall story, and that's LeBron James. Absolutely. I remember. I I distinctly remember uh, subscribing to Sports Illustrated at the time when Grant Wall wrote the uh, the Chosen One story about LeBron James. I, I remember that's like the probably most seminal, like the uh, most memorable Sports Illustrated article of my youth was the one about LeBron James. That's the one that sticks with me the most. And I didn't even realize it was Grant Wall who wrote it until he passed away. So incredibly sad, man. I don't even want to belittle this by talking about like the whole conspiracy aspect of it. I, I it, it's so, so shocking and sudden. And I just, I just feel so bad for his loved ones and his family and the soccer community. Cause it is a tremendous loss. Yeah, I know it's a huge loss. And like I said, you know, personally working with him it, we up to he um, up until he left Qatar we exchanged emails once every few months right um he was just one of those people that as soon as he met you he would know your name and if he liked you he kept in touch with you regardless it's just one of those people that man it's just crazy it's honestly crazy it is insane for me to think that he's gone yeah, it's really sad, man. Yeah, I I don't even know what to say. You obviously you knew him to some extent. You you know exchanged emails with him, and yeah, man, I uh, I just couldn't imagine the pain his family is feeling, and I know the pain that you're you're all feeling in the soccer community. Yep. So yeah, just a tremendous loss. Rest in peace to like an all time great in the the world of sports journalism. All right, so let us get into the wrestling of stuff because that's what really what we're here to talk about the most today. Uh, and we're going to specifically talk about Ring of Honor as they brought Final Battle 2022, the 21st edition of Final Battle. Matt, I got a going into last weekend's show, I had a mixed bag of emotions. Uh, part of me was excited because it's Ring of Honor. You know, 
I've always loved Ring of Honor. Um, you know, there's a reason why I chose to uh, cover it for Slam. I've always liked Ring of Honor. It was the other guys for the longest time when there was no other guys, right? So, you know, I, I was looking forward to it from that point of view. But from a strictly from a creative wrestling card point of view, I'm like, what the hell is this? For the longest time, the few matches that were announced were similar to their previous show which kind of disappointed me but as we led closer to the card you know we started the car and the card started filling out i was a little more excited i was a little happier and then on wednesday we got the big shebang the big surprise with you know the announcement of ftr versus the briscoes part three this time you know electric boogaloo in a uh, tag team dog collar match so you knew the match was going to be incredible we'll talk about how incredible it was in a little bit but you know it, even going into saturday i was still tossed and turning on the card but you know just like always you know the roh stood tall they did what they had to do and it was overall a, a pretty fun show with potentially match of the year contender and i'm telling you i'm seeing the ballots come in yesterday and i think uh i th you you know it, yeah it, it it's it's interesting to see uh what's happened that's awesome man yeah late contender might be a little recency bias we will see though the match was incredible absolutely incredible we're talking about uh briscoe's versus ftr i guess it would be tokyo drift was that yes. the third movie <laughs> I think yes. it was the third movie. Yeah. I think so. Uh, yes, because there was Draft Too Fast, Draft Too Furious, and then I think it was Tokyo Drift, right? Uh, anyway, buddy, yeah, man, uh, the card was built poorly. The, the build was shitty. It was bad, straight up bad. They announced uh, the FTR Briscoes match at the last minute. I guess uh, announced it on AEW Elevation, Dark. You know what I mean? If you can't say the Briscoes name on TV or whatever. But they did at the end there, so I don't know, man. I don't know why they didn't spend more time building it up. It feels like this is not going to do a good number. But at the end of the day, every match was pretty good. This was uh, this card super duper delivered. It, it over delivered, and uh, yeah, I I I don't know. It, it's weird because y you know Ring of Honor is going to deliver good wrestling, great wrestling sometimes. But is that enough in 2022? I think the answer is no, right? And there's there's some things to be enthused about, but there are some things to be worried about about Ring of Honor after this show. For sure, you know, and I'm so glad that you completely read my mind where I wanted to go with this. Um, you know, and that's the thing, right? Like, one thing, there's so much wrestling out there at this point, right? That wrestling on TV, for me, this is my personal opinion, don't come yelling at me, um, is that... I, there, there needs to be more than just good wrestling. There needs to be a compelling story. There needs to be a compelling, overarching story that's going on. Uh, you know, it's all connected. Let's, you know, if we're going to bring it to comic books or something like that, it's all in canon. I'm going to be talking about my geek show, which you can find at itscanonpodcast.com. Um, you know, it's it's it needs it needs that I don't know what and that I don't know what I figured it out last week and that story and talking and all the absurdity that is is professional wrestling here in North America. That's my personal take on it, right? And it sounded like that's kind of what a lot of people were leaning towards or leaning on last week, right, with this whole ROH stuff. And, well, you know what? TV stations might be feeling the same because, you know, it was announced after the fact that ROH found a home 
and it's built its own home, and it's going to be on Honor Club beginning sometime in 2023, early 2023, um, you know, $9.99 to watch a show uh, on their platform. Pay-per-views coming 90 days later, pay-per-views still being distributed the way that they are today. So in the U.S. really focused with the WB Discovery. Um, so it's it's interesting. It's a shame, but it's not surprising. Yeah, I think you summarized it pretty well. I don't know what else to add other than I am disappointed. I think any fan of professional wrestling slightly disappointed, but it's not surprising. I, I don't think there was any buzz for Ring of Honor. Even wrestling fans, hardcore wrestling fans, are kind of sick of Ring of Honor, quote unquote, ruining AEW. I don't know that I necessarily believe that, necessarily believe that, but you certainly see that reaction out there a lot. So I it's think a thing. It's a thing. I don't think it's the thing. A lot of people are trying to pin ROH as the reason why AEW's numbers are dipping. That's just one reason. There's so much going on right now in AEW. We have so many podcasts on the network dedicated to that already. Uh, so, you know, and again, we're going to focus on the good. And overall, the good here was the show. And, you know, I think we started seeing some seeds being planted for future Ring of Honor stories. You know, it's kind of funny. If you listen to um, All Elite Weekly last week with, with uh, Dan and myself, we previewed the card. And we kind of said, oh, we don't see a lot of uh, belts changing hands because we don't think that there's going to be TV anytime soon. <laughs> what the fuck yeah, do we know? That's funny that you said that. I I, I definitely, I actually called uh, every, I was talking to Paul Yorkie, our boy here on the BAM podcast, and he was like, so how many titles are switching? And I'm like, oh, five out of six. <laughs> like, There you go. Yeah, I, I thought it was. Yeah, I uh, Ring of Honor is in a time of transition and they're still becoming exactly what Tony Khan wants this to be, whatever that is. So I it, that, that doesn't surprise me in the least. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, it's just just one of those things. Yeah. So we'll see exactly what happens in the future of Ring of Honor. But let's talk about the show that they just had on Saturday. Let's start with Zero Hour because there was a lot of stuff going on even in Zero Hour. Uh, so we get the show opening. Well, before we do this, come on, Boris. My head's all over the place. I do apologize for that. Um, Matt, we're not the, we're, we're you know, we're, we're the young guns. We're done with yes. star ratings. <laughs> yes. What are you thinking? For the rating system de jour as we talk final battle 2022. I to well, I totally forgot that this was our gimmick. Uh we saw the uh we saw the dog collar match. You want to go a breed of dogs <laughs> for this here episode? We can do better, but uh, you know, it's the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. The first All thing right. that comes to All your right. mind is usually the best thing that comes to your mind. Uh debatable, but let's go with it. <laughs> Literally, that was the first thing that came to my mind, and it was probably the worst thing I could have said. Anywho, let's talk Zero Hour. Uh, we get a video package to open the show. Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman are on commentary. Man, ROH commentary might be the best commentary in all of wrestling. That's, that's, hmm. I think you're right. I think you're right at this moment. It's certainly not Vic Joseph and Booker T tell you that much, buddy. Certainly not whatever the F they're doing on the NWA show. I think you're right. I think it is Ring of Honor, the two-man team of Rick Abani and Caprice Coleman. They they wear the championship belt right now. If Wade Barrett had stayed with Vic, Vic Joseph, there could have been a debate. 
But they have potential. They have potential. But also, you know, you know who else is great? You know who else is great? Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton. They're right there. If they aren't wearing the belt, they're right there. They're yep. probably number two. Yep. All right. So let's get to things. The first match of Zero Hour was Mascara, Mascara Dorada versus Jeff Cobb. All right. Yes. Grand Metalik. Yeah, I was just going to say Grand Metalik versus Matanza Cueto. What a dream match. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. This match was a lot of fun, man. This match was exactly what you would expect from these two guys. We've seen this match before. I'm sure we'll see this match again. Uh, there was an uh, a attempt for a tour of the islands, which uh, uh, Dorada was able to uh, counter. Cobb cut him off at one point with all the punches. Um, really strong match. Right, like it was just a really good back and forth match. Dorada went for the uh, back to the ropes. He pulled Cobb to the mat with a bulldog style move, led to a two count. Cobb then battled back with a shot to the back of Dorada's head, and he then finally hit the Tour of the Islands finisher for the win in exactly seven minutes. Yeah, good stuff here. Jeff Cobb, uh, just uh, always, always impressive. Nice to see Grand Metal League out there. There was a time, a split second, like 2012, 13-ish, where people said he was the best luchador alive. So Grand Metal League is kind of slept on a little bit. This Mascara Dorada, people have forgotten about him. So this was a very strong match. I think we're going to go three and a half German Shepherds out of five. Jeff Cobb, German Shepherd, huge, agile. Everyone loves him. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. Uh, my sister-in-law, uh, who only used to watch WWE, sometimes New Japan, if that's what my brother and I were watching, uh, but uh, Grand Metalik was actually her favorite wrestler, period. There you go. Yeah, he's sick, man. He's so good. Yep. All right. So between the matches, we got videos uh, promoting the matches. We're only going to focus on the matches here. Uh, and the second match of the night was Angelo Parker and Matt Menard versus Shinobi Shadow Squads, Cheeseburger and Eli Isom. Yeah, I loved how much uh, JAS we got on the show, how much Matt Menard and Angelo Parker, they cut a couple promos. They got to win a really fun match. If you wanted to be a dick, you could probably say this was the worst match on the show, and it was still good. It was still good. Yep. Uh, was this? That's a good question. I, I, never I think, think it was. I never think sometimes what the worst match of the show was if nothing completely stands out, right? Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I just just because I I have a number beside all of them, so it's kind of easier for me, right? Yeah. yeah. So I love this. So the referee calls for the handshake. Parker flashed a fucking grin from ear to ear as he's shaking <laughs> Ism's hand. That he continued to shake until Ism pulled away his hand. Menard tags in, shakes his hand in the most over the top manner. The crowd's going crazy for Cheeseburger. I love how how loved Cheeseburger is to this day. Um, Parker demanded that Cheeseburger shakes his hand. CB does the mega powers wind up, then catches Parker's foot while Parker tried to kick him. Um, and then we get the actual match starting with uh, uh, Cheeseburger being isolated from Eli Ism. That was essentially the story of the match. Uh, Cheeseburger called for his palm strikes. He then ran the ropes, tumbled through the ropes when Menard held a rope down from the floor. Menard entered the ring, joined Parker in performing a double DDT on Ism, um, and Parker covers him for the win in five minutes, 50 seconds. 
Yeah, lots of fun, lots of personality in this match. It was not a technical clinic, but there was a, it was just a lot of uh, a lot of character work going on in this one. Uh, I'm going to go three border collies out of five Boris 2.0, a.k.a. Menard and Parker. They are border collies, fiercely loyal, loyal. They have a little bit of a Napoleon complex, think they're the biggest dog in the room, and uh, we love them with all our heart, and they're probably going to die young. <laughs> Trish Shadora versus Willow Nightingale was the next match. Willow Nightingale, super, super over. I wish more people knew who Trisha Dora was, because I feel like half the crowd kind of knew her and the half that knew her loved her, but the other half who didn't know her had zero idea how to re react to her. Yeah, I agree. Great read on that. And she she impressed me because I was one who I've seen her once or twice on NWA, I think, actually, and she didn't have much of a chance to shine on uh, Corrigan Championship Wrestling. She looked great in this match. I thought she held her own for sure. So this match happened in Ring of Honor about last September, October. Um, you know, so this was good match. Good match then. Good match now. Adora pulls Willow from behind into a pin. Willow sold the back of her head and neck. Uh, she comes back with a pounce. Willow lowered the straps of her gear, powered up Adora for a nasty-looking sit-up powerbomb for the win. Both wrestlers hug and shake hands afterwards. Uh, this match lasting about six minutes. I really like this. Had a lot of time for it. I thought both people left the ring way better off than they entered it. And Willow Nightingale has future women's world champion potential. So we're going to go three and a half. Corgis out of five. The best, most adorable dog. It's always a party when a Corgi shows up. Just it like Willow Nightingale. It should be noted that during last year's ROH Women's Tournament, Willow Nightingale was the runner-up. We all know who won, and that was Roxy. Our girl, the Connor McDavid of pro wrestling. Yep. All right. The fourth match, uh, The Kingdom, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett with Maria Kanellis versus Top Flight, Dante Martin, and Darius Martin. Interesting to see Top Flight here. Um, I didn't know what to expect from this match. I knew it was going to be good. Look, everyone who's listened to us long enough knows how I feel about the uh, the kingdom. I, they've grown on me a lot. Top flight, excellent. But I thought we were going to see a clash of styles in this match, and we didn't. We got a well, we got a very good veteran versus rookie match. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, the the base of the kingdom versus the high flying antics of top flight baby face versus heel divide. Absolutely uh, clear rookies versus veterans. Yeah, this was a, uh, a basic tag team match, but we don't mean that as an insult. It was textbook. Yeah. Caprice Coleman and Ian Riccoboni did a fantastic job of telling us the story and really building up. Is top flight going to win? Has the kingdom overlooked top flight? Like they did a great job in this match. Uh, they really added that, uh, that dynamic that, you know, we look for when we rate matches. Um, so Dante throws Taven back in the ring. He was distracted by Canellis for a second time on the apron. Uh, the referee, Mike Posey, ejected Canellis this time. Uh, the heels set up for a spike pile driver on Darius, but it was broken up. Darius holds up Bennett in a powerbomb position, but then Dante performed a springboard backflip into a dive on the elevated Bennett, which looked insane. Darius then covers Bennett. And got the three count and the win for Top Flight in 11 minutes, 18 seconds. 
Yeah, good match yet again. I would go three Greyhounds out of five for this one for the agile top flight tag team. Uh, yeah, good stuff. And I was pretty shocked by the outcome, but I do think the right team won. Agreed 100%. I really like that. And I like that the honor code was obliged to by all four men. That's always cool to see. I know that some people complain about the code of honor, but it's cool to see in a quote unquote sport where there's a lot of uh, disrespect and, and whatnot, right? Like these are people who respect each other's uh, work ethic, right? And, and, and respect each other in the ring. So I kind of like that part of it. Uh, you know, we always talk about that real fight feeling. And to me, having the code of honor gives us that. I couldn't agree with you more, buddy. Uh, they, like, you just add a little sports presentation to the wacky world of professional wrestling. That's what we liked about Ring of Honor in the first place. All right, let's get to the main show. And the first match, we'll talk about the ending. Might have had the most screwed up ending right behind the Men's Iron Survivor Challenge from NXT. Um, this match was Blake Christian and A.R. Fox everyone's favorite AR Fox nowadays uh, versus Drillistico and Roosh. Yeah, so uh, a, a very good match with what looked to me to be a highly unprofessional ending. Well, let's talk about the match itself briefly here. The match was good. The match was fun. You know, you have, you have Drillistico and Roosh who are more grounded luchadors. Right, because they're the heels, they're the rudos. These guys are supposed to be grounded. They're not going to be high flying for your applause. They are going to stick to the ground and cheat and lie and steal to get the win. And it's interesting that they were facing good guys, faces in Blake Christian and Air Fox, who are more luchador like. So this match was a, had a very CMLL feeling to it. Um, Air Fox, dude, this guy's just incredible. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's, he's been awesome since 2010, 2011 on the Indies. It's really cool to see him get this chance on the main uh, the main stage. Yep. All right. So Christian came back with a suplex on Drillistico. He tagged out. Fox worked over Drillistico for a second. Rouge cut him off with a chop. Fox battled back, performed the missile drop kick. Fox then followed up with a dive over the top rope onto Rouge. Fox returned to the ring. He performed the same move on Drillistico, who apparently had nothing better to do than just stand there and wait while he watched his brother take the same move just seconds before. A.R. Fox then performs a swanton on Drillistico. He covers him for a two count. Drillistico had Fox pinned. Christian leapt off the top rope to break up the pin. Fox performed a springboard flatliner on Drillistico. Uh, Christian follows this up with the move on Drillisco. He dove onto Rush. Fox does a 450 splash. Goes for the cover. Yeah, here we go. One, two, three. It was just like the yeah. weirdest thing. It, it looked to me like ref counts one, ref counts two. Drillisco was going to kick out, but ref quick counted three. And then the match was over. And my immediate read, I have no idea if this is correct. My read was, did the wrong guys win? Were Drellistico and Roosh supposed to win this match? And AR Fox just kind of accidentally won it. And then Drellistico and Rush beat the shit 
out of these men, including slapping the face of A.R. Fox really, really hard and in an unprofessional way, I think, and throwing a chair at his head. Unprotected. Oh, man. Unprotected. Unprotected. If, if this was not booked and Roosh and Drillistico went into business for themselves and attacked A.R. Fox like that, I would fire those guys on the spot. Fired. Fired. Take your gear. Get out. Never come back. That's that's the wrestling supposed to be safe, man. Like, red, like, come on. If if that was a shoot, quote unquote, dude, I, it, it just it, seemed it's very, too, it's very, very possible that it was a work to shoot. It seemed too chaotic because, you know, Rush grabs the, the cords. He grabs some rope and he starts slapping uh, A.R. Fox. He starts slapping uh, Blake Christian. But then he just kind of drops it and just walks away, right? Like, it was just so awkward. The entire thing just seemed very strange. It seemed like no one knew exactly what was going on. Even Riccoboni and Coleman were, like, kind of, you know, not sure how to commentate on this stuff. It was reported overnight that Roosh has been suspended. So, again, I don't know if this is legit or not. I... 100 percent at this point believe it was i don't know what the end of the match was supposed to be but i feel like the the finish the finishing spot that we saw on this night was not supposed to be the actual finish and drillistico and roosh were pissed and roosh took it out on ar fox in a highly highly unprofessional way if i was running this company he would be fired so jose the assistant posted this on social media overnight rush assaulted, in air quotes, in air quotes, a referee. We got fined for using chairs. We've been suspended for a week by AEW. Preston get, didn't get too involved and isn't suspended. You can't fool the fans. They know the match ending was bullshit. Well, maybe it's maybe it was something that AR Fox is cool with and they're turning it into a work. I don't think like he could have he could have been worse. He slapped him really hard and threw a chair at his face. Like that's it is highly unprofessional and dangerous, but worse things happened in almost every single ECW match, for example. So it's not like he tried to kill the man, but still like gross. And if it were me and it was a shoot, I would fire him. That's all I'm saying. Yep. All right, let's talk about the next match, which was for the ROH Women's Championship. It was Mercedes Martinez versus Athena. Okay, so let me talk about what I didn't like about this match, and that was the booking of this match. You have Athena, who's got this new tough girl attitude since the weird stuff that happened in Toronto with Judy Threat. Who knows if that was a shoot or if that was legit. You just never know sometimes, and I love that. But You get this new tough girl attitude. She punches Aubrey Edwards. She kicks everyone's ass for the last few weeks. She's being built as a heel. You give her Mercedes Martinez at home. You promote the fact that she's home. You promote the fact that she's in front of family and friends. What do you think is going to happen? She got cheered. She being Athena the entire time. Yeah, so uh, Tony Khan is so weird and spotty about that. Like, I agree that's weird. Uh, it, it, like, in a nutshell, that seems quote-unquote wrong. But I don't think it's a bad thing to, like, let a heel be cheered when they're in their hometown. I think that's kind of fun. But it's just so dumb that he'll do that for Athena. But, for example, he won't let Chris Jericho come out to Judas in Toronto on Dynamite, you have to pay twice to see him come out to Judas on Rampage because he didn't want Jericho to be cheered on Dynamite or whatever the fuck it was. Anyway, it's just weird that he'll do things like that sometimes but won't every time. 
I I had no par- problem with it. But if you did have a problem with it, I totally understand that. I don't have a problem with it. I just want to point it out that it was just really weird. And okay, maybe I do have a problem with it because this is the first major match as with Athena as a heel. So and she was not, a babyface. And she was a babyface. So you take all of this buildup, throw it out the window. She's a babyface. She wins the belt as a babyface. So what happens to this heel character? She's just gonna magically go back to it again. I know that you can just overlook it. She's home. You can state that, and maybe that's what the commentators are trying to do by bringing up the fact that she is home. But the dynamic of this match was really weird because Mercedes Martinez then started working as a heel and the dynamics just fell apart. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that, I, uh, I I think. Although the match itself was pretty good. I don't it know was if good. The, the dynamics it, of the match fell apart. The action was, it was just like a hard-hitting, mean girl match, right? And it delivered. It delivered yeah. that. That's exactly what this match was. It was Mercedes Martinez essentially kicking Athena's ass for how long did this match go for? About 13 minutes. Um, You know, it was mainly Mercedes Martinez getting a lot of Athena. Uh, You know, she did drop kicks, charge drop kicks. Uh, She was, uh, you know, doing... uh, What else did she do in this match? A lot of uh, submissions. Athena was grabbing the ropes a lot. Uh, Martinez dropped her into a code breaker at one point. Uh, yeah, this was, there's a lot of Mercedes Martinez here. The end of the match, though, saw Martinez popping up Athena. She slammed her to the mat for a two count. Athena drop kicks Martinez into the exposed turnbuckle. She hits the O face, formerly known as the Eclipse, and scored the win in 13 minutes, 10 seconds to become the new Ring of Honor Women's Champion. So yeah, it sounds like I like this match more than you. I I got exactly what I expected here, which was basically a, a female Blackpool Combat Club match. It was a hard-fought battle. There's an awesome brain buster too that Mercedes hit on Athena. Just yeah, just exactly what I wanted this match to be. And then Athena wins clean in front of her parents and gets a huge baby face reaction. So what do you know? Um, I'm going to go three and a half bulldogs for this one. I think for obvious reasons, these two gals were rocking uh, hard fought battle in their bulldog fight for the previous match. I didn't rate it. We're going to go three Pomeranians out of five for uh, Roosh and Drillistico because they are dicks and Pomeranians are dicks. Heath Lee and Swerve Strickland versus Shane Taylor and J.D. Griffey was the next match. Everyone Best wanted match to see on the show so far. Yeah, everyone wanted to see Keith Lee and Shane Taylor go at it. In the middle of the match, we want Shane as Lee was in the ring. Griffey tagged in Taylor, got a great reaction. Just as Lee and Taylor were gonna lock up, Swerve Strickland says "fuck you," tags himself right back in. Loved it, yeah. Just a little bit, a little bit of teasing for it, and then they 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 did obviously pay it off in such a fad, satisfying way. Yep, yep. There was a back. Uh, you know, they traded forearms once they actually did get into the uh, match. Uh, Griffey has a very. Let's talk about JD Griffey a little bit. He has a very MMA centric offense looking wrestling style. Yeah, he has MMA gloves. He has MMA shorts. He is a UFC man. Uh, they're going to do J.D. Griffey versus Hook sooner than later. If they haven't already, maybe J.D. Griffey is in Hook's victim list already. Yep. Um, a lot of back and forth in this match. At one point, all four were in the middle of the ring. 
they were trading punches. Strickland blasted Lee with a knee to the head. Lee and Strickland put Griffey down. Taylor blasted Lee, uh, but then Strickland and Lee worked over Taylor. Uh, Lee swung at Taylor, who ducked, causing Lee to blast Strickland with a forearm shot. Taylor hoisted up Lee and hit his welcome to the land finisher, but Lee kicked out. Coleman said he's never seen anyone kick out of that move, which is true, at least from what I know. Uh, Griffey then hits Lee with a knee to the head. Taylor covered Lee again for another two count. Uh, Griffey tagged in while Strickland was shown holding his jaw at ringside, and he's kind of starting to back his way uh, towards the stage, and he says, screw this walks away, leaves Keith Lee alone. Uh, Taylor and Griffey worked over Lee while Strickland stood on the stage. The fans were booing. Taylor held Lee, who ducked, causing Griffey to take out Lee with a kick. Lee hits his finisher on Griffey, pins him to get the win, even though he was alone in 13 minutes, 45 seconds. Minor, minor, minor complaint because, like, you would barely notice, and unless you're paying attention and taking notes and being uh, is over analytical as we are. But so they built to this huge dramatic moment where Keith Lee hits Swerve Strickland, and it meant so much that Swerve Strickland walked out on his partner, and this could finally be the actual breakup. And then a minute, ninety seconds later, uh, JD Griffey accidentally hits Shane Taylor. They just do the exact same thing, but it's going to have no consequence. No, you know what I mean? It's just kind of funny. Like uh, they just did the same spot, but let's not pay attention about that. Anyway, uh, this was an excellent match. This was great. I love the storytelling. I love the action. The crowd was super duper into it. Best thing on the show so far, by far, I would say four great Danes out of five. Because they are the biggest dogs that I can think of off the top of my head anyway. And uh, these were the biggest dogs on this show. So you you rated this as a four, right? That's what I heard? Four out of five. Great match. Yep. I would take off half a point. This is why I would take off half a point. You know our pillars. We always talk about production. And this is when I noticed that the production on the show was off. There was missed uh, camera shots. Uh, you know, they're trying to exclamate the point that Swerve Strickland is leaving Lee, but they're not focusing on him with the camera. They're kind of showing him back away, but you didn't really know what was going on. So there was a few production hiccups uh, throughout the first half of the show, especially. They did much better, especially uh, during the dog collar match, but we'll talk about that later. Um, so I would knock off, maybe half is too much. I would knock off at least a quarter. Oh, interesting. Fair enough. I uh, I accept your terms. All right. The next match was for the ROH six-man tag team titles. Dalton Castle and the boys versus Brian Cage and Gates of Agony, Khan, and Toa Leona, all with Prince Nana, all known as the Embassy. Yes, sir. Yet another good, fun match. Uh, Dalton Castle just always a blast when he comes out. Cuts a great promo, putting over the show. And uh, he uh, a backstage promo building up the match, putting over the show Ring of Honor final battle, putting over his opponents and himself and the boys. Dalton Castle is a professional. He's great at this. He's another one who I'm so glad to see get a shot on the main stage on AEW a couple of times before transitioning back to uh, the deep recesses of the Internet in Ring of Honor. 
Yep, and that's the thing. At the end of the day, I, I, look, okay, we'll talk about the match. Castle wanted to go for a suicide dive, but the cameras missed Nana rolling on one of the boys into the ring, so Castle had to jump over him and didn't go for the dive. Castle grabbed Nana. Cameras missed Toa apparently throwing one of the boys at Castle. Toa and Khan threw one of the boys at Cage, who power-palmed him, pinned him. The embassy win the titles in 10 minutes, 3 seconds. That's great. Okay match. Production fucked up again. Um, but I'm fine with this because I feel like the embassy kind of need these belts a lot more than Dalton Castle. Dalton Castle is one of those acts who doesn't need a belt. No, absolutely right. And he could get one and it would probably benefit the belt more than him because he's somebody who could be positioned anywhere on the card and deliver. Literally in the main event, we've seen it or the first match on the show or anywhere in between. We are huge Dalton Castle fans on this podcast. Uh, this match was still good. Maybe this was the weakest match on the show, but I would say it was better than uh, Matt Menard and Angelo Parker around the same level. We're, we're going to go three chow chows out of five. A very fancy, expensive dog breed for Dalton Castle and the boys. Losers of the tag team titles here, the trios titles. All right, backstage, Lexi Nair interviews Darius Martin and Dante Martin. Dante said Top Flight is back after they beat the kingdom on the pre-show. Matt Menard and Angela Parker interrupt the promo. Parker said the only congratulations they deserve is for Darius making it through a match without tearing another ACL. Menard jaws at Darius and asked if he wanted to hit him. Dante hits Menard. Then all four men brawl. The brawl spills into the arena. Dante Martin performs a flip dive off the stage. Security pulls the team apart. Um, then we send me Menard and Parker going to the ring. Parker worked up the crowd about ROH and then questioned why it died if it was so great. A lot of the internet asked that. Parker gave Chris Jericho credit for being the only man who could resurrect the brand. Menard asked the crowd if they wanted to know what makes his nipples hard. He pulled out one of Jake Hager's purple hats and said Claudio Castanoli would be wearing one of them if Jericho wins. Because remember, if Jericho wins, Claudio has to join the Jericho Appreciation Society. Yes, sir. Okay, so all this leads to Wheeler Yuta interrupting 2.0 Menard and Parker here and coming out for his match versus Daniel Garcia. So Boris, I have a theory about Wheeler Yuta. I may have said this on the podcast before, but we're going to roll with it again. Um, so Raven, uh, uh, Scott Levy, he talks about this and it's, it's quite wise. Some of Raven's shoots are actually amazing. If you can get through five hours of him rambling and being a Looney Tunes character, there's some uh, amazing wisdom in there. And he says that every wrestling booker has a character through whom they see themselves. And he said Paul Heyman in ECW saw himself through the Raven character. He was counterculture. He was mad at the world. And he was going to do whatever he could to succeed no matter what. Fuck everybody else. He'll take on the misfits. The whole thing. And he was, it's brilliant. So I, I asked myself, who does Tony Khan see himself in? And of everyone in Ring of Honor, of everyone in all elite wrestling, I think Tony Khan sees himself in Wheeler Yuta. Kind of looks a little bit like Tony Khan. No one has any idea who the fuck he is, where the fuck he came from, why he's here. He's not doing a bad job. 
but he's not particularly good at anything. He's just there. He's just the guy who has the opportunity for some reason. And people kind of dislike him, but fuck it. We're doing it. It's going to happen because he's there and he's there because he's there. That is Wheeler Yuta. And that's kind of Tony. God. That's so funny. It's kind of true. Yeah, we haven't talked about that actually. So that's, that's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I'm glad to debut that theory of the podcast. Then. Yep. I can see that. All right. Daniel Garcia versus Wheeler Yuta for the ROH Pure World Championship. This is a match that, or a type of match that Matt and I love. We love the Heritage Cup matches. We love the Pure Rules matches. Uh, Jerry Lynn, Christopher Daniels, and BJ Whitmer were the uh, match judges. Just remember, you can't use closed fists. If you do, you get a warning. If you do a second time, DQ. You have three rope breaks. After your third rope break, you cannot use the ropes to get a break, and the submission essentially stays on. So, a lot of room to play and have interesting booking. This match was good. This match was good, but it had very typical ROH pure rules match. You know, Wheeler Yuta used up his three rope holds very quick. Both men used up their one warning for closed fists very quick. And it was now Daniel Garcia's job to put Yuta away with a submission hold, which Yuta cannot get a break on. Yeah, so that story has been told a thousand times in these matches. It's a it's an old favorite, but I mean they they worked it well. I thought this match was great. I actually really really enjoyed it. This was, in my opinion, their best match to date. Yeah, I think so too. I think this one was very, very good. Um, so we got Yuta putting Garcia down with a beautiful looking brain buster. Both the men were down. Um, you know, Coleman reminded everyone that uh, Yuta had burned through his rope breaks. Garcia caught Yuta in a sharpshooter. Yuta was on the ropes, but he had no rope breaks. Uh, but he was able to hook the neck of Garcia, who eventually released the hold, and then both men fell to the ground. Uh, both wrestlers came back to the apron. They were fighting. Garcia went for a pile driver, but Yuta backdropped him uh, back in the ring. Garcia flipped off Yuta while on his knees. Yuta ended up hooking up the arms of Garcia, then threw elbows at his head until the referee stopped the match as Garcia was uh, essentially out. So in 14 minutes, 48 seconds, your winner and you, pure champion, Wheeler Yuta. Yeah, great wrestling match here. Uh, decisive victory for Wheeler Yuta, though... Garcia was in the driver's seat for the first 13 minutes of this 14 and a half minute match. So I kind of liked how they flipped that. And yet, like if you watch the match, you would have no doubt that Wheeler Yuta was the winner, was on this night, the better man. But Daniel Garcia held his own and kind of dominated at some points. So I, I thought this was uh, pretty, pretty damn good. All things considered, they achieved pretty much exactly what they needed to. Yep. All right. So after the match, the referee calls for a post-match handshake. Yuta holds out his hand. Garcia kicks Yuta's hand away and the belt along with it. Garcia picks up the belt, hands it to Yuta, and he just leaves the ring without looking at him. All right. So he did refuse the code of honor, but he didn't attack him. He handed him the belt like a man. So he's, he's, a, he's a sore loser. He's a punk. But at the end of the day, he did kind of do the right thing. I, I thought this was a great match. Yet again, we're going to go four dachshunds out of five for this one. Four wiener dogs out of five, Boris. All right. It is time to talk about what Ooh. should have been 
the main event. Dan and I last week were even talking about the fact that th- we've both thought this was going to close the show. This has closed, uh, you know, other shows that they've fought in. So go figure. FTR, Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler versus Jay Briscoe and Mark Briscoe in a double dog collar match for the ROH Tag Team Titles. Where do we start? What do we? How do? How do we even cover this match? Ah, uh, one of the bloodiest matches I've ever seen, ever in wrestling, ever, ever, ever. I've been watching this shit a long time, man. I've been watching it since I was three years old in 1990. I really try to be a student of the game, uh, A, because we're doing this podcast now, but B, because I fucking love wrestling. I just love it. Uh, I, I've been interested in it my whole life. What matches come to mind in terms of bloodiest I've ever seen? The match with the Muda scale. Uh, super, super bloody, obviously, where uh, uh, Hiroshi Hase wrestles the Great Muda and hits him with a spike and Great Muda blades to uh, such an extent that wrestling fans have invented the term Muda scale for how much people bled in comparison to this match. Uh, another match, I think you're about to mention it. You can even say it, buddy. Eddie Guerrero Undertaker match. Uh, JBL. Eddie Guerrero. JBL, JBL. JBL. Sorry. Yes. Another one of the bloodiest matches of all time, Undertaker versus Vince McMahon Survivor Series, I think it was, 2003? Something like that. It was like, was it Buried Alive Undertaker versus Vince McMahon Survivor Series 2003? Someone's going to look that up. I hope I'm correct off the top of my head. That's one of the bloodiest ever. Uh, Anyway, I think... This is this is the most blood I've seen in a wrestling match. All four of the the main wrestlers were covered, especially Jay Briscoe and Dax, and the referee bladed hard. He bladed a, a, a good blade job, not a small one. Someone took their Tylenol before the match. That's for damn sure. Jesus H Lord. So yeah, this is a a violent violent just a bloodbath just but very inventive in terms of spots each one more dangerous than the last yeah i don't know man like this is this is just this is an all-timer an all-timer okay so the bleeding started okay let's say this jay was attached to harwood mark was attached to wheeler both teams just attack each other they go outside over the barricade fighting in the crowd uh, Wheeler and Mark went to the stage. Um, this is when production kind of got a little better for the show because they did split screens like a, like a video game or something when both guys were far away from each other. I like that touch. Thanks. I think we got the first blade job or the first blood in like what? the first, Under five minutes of this match? Yes. Yeah. They did not waste time. They did not waste time. The Briscoes were bleeding quick. Yep. All right, so back in the ring. We're going to go into detail in this match. There's a lot to go through. So Harwood and Jay were in the ring. Wheeler wraps a dog collar around the ring post to choke Mark. He fought free, returned to the ring. Um, Mark and Wheeler fought at ringside. There were loud dueling chants for two teams. The crowd was hot throughout this entire match. Mark returned to the ring. Wheeler was on the steps. A chair was wedged in a corner. Jay tried to run Harwood into it, but Harwood reversed it. Wheel, um, Wheeler pulled the chain to choke Mark and then hit him with punches. Uh, Wheeler returned to the ring and whipped Mark with the chain while Harwood held him uh, in the ring. Harwood pulls a bloody J into the ring post. So what I really enjoyed at this point and what I've been noticing is that they're kind of taking, uh, they're kind of taking turns with, uh, uh, with spots, right? Like, yeah, 
and they're going back and forth. That's what I really enjoyed what, about this. It was so intelligent, and it was the only way to do it. But they did it so organically and perfectly that you didn't even really notice. Like it was, it was your turn, my turn, but it totally was. Yep. All right. So in the ring, Harwood put Jay on his shoulders. Wheeler wrapped the chain around his fist and then leapt off the top rope for a punch version of the Doomsday Device, which resulted in a two count. Wheeler then choked Mark in a gory bomb position. Harwood flipped Mark, uh, Mark's abdomen with the chain. Wheeler tossed Mark over the top rope, then pulled the chain to choke him. Jay ran Harwood into the other pair's chain to free Mark from the choke. So again, very constructive, very different ways of using the chain. And I've personally, I can't recall ever seeing a tag team dog collar match. So it was very creative in how they were breaking up the pins and using the chain within the four of them throughout the match. 100%. Though there's a famous one that comes to mind in ECW is the Pitbulls versus oh, yeah. Raven and uh was it uh, uh is it Steven Richards and Raven? I forget who Raven's tag team partner is on that night, but yeah, I, I don't remember. I, I, I know which I'll, one you're talking look, about, but I don't remember. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly look that up while you're uh, doing this thing. Okay, so back in the ring, Mark leapt from the top rope, hit a froggy bow elbow on Wheeler for a two count. Mark set up a table on the floor while Jay Harwood fought inside in the ring. Wheeler tried to suplex Mark onto a stack of chairs which was on the other side of the table. Mark Verstead suplex Wheeler onto the floor. All four men at this point were just bleeding heavily. Harwood knocked Jay off the ropes by thrusting the chain at him. Um, there's a lot of back and forth here. All right, so this is when the referee gets it. Harwood wrapped the chain around his fist, punched Jay several times, but then Jay pulls the referee in front of him, causing Harwood to punch out the referee while the chain was wrapped there on his neck which meant now that the referee was bleeding we got a fight forever chant uh wheeler uh so chant broke out while mark and wheeler were fighting in the apron wheeler got the better of it placed mark on the table at ringside uh next to the stack of chairs wheeler went to the ropes but mark stood up cut him off Mark punched Wheeler off the apron, then pulled the chain to get him back on the apron. Mark dropkicked Wheeler back to the floor, placed him on top of the table. Mark went to the ropes. Jay set up Harwood for the doomsday device, but Wheeler returned to the apron, pulled the chain, causing Mark to take an insane-looking bump, a flip that I didn't think he was going to get off from the top ropes onto the stack of chairs on the outside this looked dangerous for both guys. It looked dangerous, obviously, for Mark because he went from the top rope to a bunch of chairs on the outside, um, but also for Wheeler because he didn't, you know, there's only so much chain that he had, which yeah. was attached to his neck. Absolutely. Thankfully, these were long chains and it gave them some like wiggle room, literally and figuratively. But yeah, very dangerous, terrifying spot. Yep. We got a J-Driller at this point. We were setting up a second J-Driller uh, on a chair, but Harwood kicks him in the balls. Harwood Paldro J onto the chairs, covered him for a good near fall. Um, Harwood put Jay in a seated position on the top rope, then chopped him a few times. Harwood set up for the top rope pile driver onto the chairs, but Jay fought him off, slipped under him. Uh, he then used the chain to crotch Harwood, and then he took out Wheeler when he tried to get involved. Jay superplexed Harwood onto the pile of chairs inside the ring. 
Mark held the chain to prevent Wheeler from returning to the ring. The cameras missed Jay covering Harwood for a near fall. Jay pulled the chain, which was in Harwood's mouth. Wheeler continued his attempt to get back in the ring, but Mark held onto the chain to stop him, and Harwood passes out to give dumb boys the win in 22 minutes, 25 seconds to become the new ROH tag team titles. I need some water. Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. First things first, uh, on September 16th, 1995 airing September 22nd, 1995, the pit bulls defeated Raven and Stevie Richards in a two out of three falls dog collar match for the ECW tag titles at ECW gangsters paradise 1995. So clean that up there. Uh, this is one of the best matches I've ever seen in my life straight up the bloodiest one of the most violent one of the most terrifying uh i i just i don't know what else to say about it i could throw a bunch of accolades at it uh dave Meltzer, the great dave Meltzer, friend of the show here at sunday night's main event radio said that it was no less than the greatest chain match he'd ever seen i think this is the greatest match in the history of professional wrestling that involves people tied to each other there's yep. an amazing bull rope match uh, between Stan Hansen and Carlos Colon from 1986. This is better than that. This is better than Valentine versus Piper. This is a five-star match. One of the greatest wrestling matches in the history of professional wrestling. Five Rottweilers out of five. 100% A++. No less than the second best match of the year. There you go. There you have it. Getting the elusive five something from the band boys. Five blanks out of five. Yep. It's it's crazy. I love it. It was such a good match. I I I can't add anything else to this, uh, to your description of how good it was. It was damn good. And this is why I fucking love wrestling. Yeah, exactly right, man. Yeah. And it, it just a uh, you needed a cigarette after this one. You felt for all five men, including the referee who bled buckets in this match. Just insane. Just absolute wanton chaos and terror across the land. Yep. Like for me, this match should have ended the show. I don't know why so, it did it. Maybe it was the whole the world title should end it type of discussion. Um, but I'm under the the uh, the impression that it should be a belt or the most important match, the biggest marquee match, which let's be honest, is this. I think it's yeah, it had to be this. I'm not sure how you uh I'm not sure how to put it. The emotional climax of the show needs to be the last thing. That's that's what it needs to be. A title belt doesn't matter. Whatever doesn't matter. Emotional climax of the show should be the last thing that you see. So this should have closed the show. The reason why I think it didn't is because the Briscoes won. They closed the show when FTR won, and the AEW guys stood tall at the end. So I think they wanted Claudio to be the one who stands tall at the end. And more, more than Claudio, the Blackpool Combat Club, standing tall at the end. We're here. We're still going. We have all the belts. All is right with the world. I think that's why they booked it like this. But I think that was a mistake. This should have closed the show. The only other, well, you're, I think you're right 100%, especially with Ian Riccoboni's The Heart of ROH line um, to close the show. So... I've never been so adamant about a match needing to main event since Rock Hogan WrestleMania 18. 
Wow, that adamant, you say? That adamant. All right, after the I match, the Briscoe. I, I think you're wrong. Sorry. I think. Yeah, I think a lot of things about you. After the match, the Briscoes <laughs> celebrated their win. Uh, they let they left the ring. Harwood and Wheeler slowly got to their feet. They were being cheered. That's for when Austin Gunn and Colton Gunn hit the ring, attack FT, FTR. Uh, they take the mic and say FTR's legacy is dying. The Briscoes returned to the ring, causing the guns to leave while the crowd serenaded them with ass boys chants. Uh, the Briscoes stood in the ring. Harwood was face down on the mat with a microphone right next to him. Harwood said their mission now is to beat the ass of the guns. <laughs> Loved it. So I, I, for the record, I said I don't uh, disagree with you, buddy. I 100% agree with what you said. Any who's in. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I, I love this little touch where Dax cuts a promo, but he can't physically lift the microphone because he's he's dead. So he cuts a promo face down in his own blood. It's just that I've never seen that before. So, yeah, another touch to add another quarter star to this if you wanted to. And I do enjoy the fact that this match wasn't the second to last match because I think everyone needed a smoke after this match. Crowd needed felt, a cool down. And I felt so bad for the next match, which was Samoa Joe versus Juice Robinson for the ROH TV title. Uh, yeah, in a vacuum, a good match. But, geez, I mean, it had no chance. No chance to follow the previous, nor did Jericho Claudio, honestly. No, it didn't. Again, since WrestleMania 18, I felt for, sorry for everyone after those uh, matches, right? Like, let's just cut to it. Joe went for a muscle buster. Robinson slips into a sunset flip for a two count. Uh, Robinson then went up to the top rope, but Joe shot up, hit the ropes to crotch him. Joe took Robinson headbutt and then punched him. Uh, Joe hit the muscle buster and scored a very clean win to become the only champion to leave, still champion, after tonight as he won in 13 minutes, 40 seconds. The only man to successfully defend a title. I thought this was a really good match, like I said, like in a vacuum, uh, but no chance, no chance following. I bet half the crowd was having a smoke or taking a pee or whatever it was. But I, I still think this was a good match, though. We're going to go three Siberian Huskies out of five for Samoa Joe over Juice Robinson. Yep. And it's time for the main event as Chris Jericho went one on one with Claudio Castanoli for the ROH Championship. Bobby Cruz did the in-ring introductions. Paul Turner was the referee. Castanoli offers his hand for the code of honor, but Jericho kicked him. Jericho left the ring when he went after the broadcast team, specifically Riccoboni. Uh, both Riccoboni and Coleman run, run away. Jericho runs into a clothesline from Castanoli to start the match. And I kind of like that way to start this match because it kind of like puts everything full circle in a neat little package. Absolutely, yeah. The storytelling and the announcing, like we said off the top, is just fantastic on this show. Yep. Uh, Jericho does his best in this match. Jericho controls a lot of the match. Castanoli's trying, you know, to find his uppercuts, but Jericho always has an answer to those. At one point, uh, both men are fired up. Each of them doing running clotheslines. Eventually, Castanoli went for the swing, but Jericho countered it into a walls of Jericho. Castanoli reached for the ropes. Jericho pulls him back to the middle of the ring. Castanoli eventually makes one more attempt to successfully reach the ropes this time. Um, some of the, uh, the rope, so the, the hold was broken. 
Jericho gets up, starts cheering, thinking he won the match. Uh, the referee kind of had to say, oh, no, you didn't. Uh, Jericho gets upset. Jericho takes his uh, his attention away from Castanoli, only to get a beautiful-looking uppercut. Um, both men were down. This opened the door for Matt Menard and Angela Parker to come out. Parker distracted the referee while Menard slipped Jericho's baseball bat to him. Jericho hit Castanoli with the bat, tossed it to ringside. Then Jericho laid down like he was still very wheezy, weary. Um, so he's killing time at this point. Castanoli's down. Jericho is down. Referee turns around. Jericho slowly covers Castanoli. And this is only good for a two-pin or two-count on the pin which, you know, some could say that Jericho just wasted too much time there. Uh, the referee then ejects Menard and Parker from ringside. Castanoli caught Jericho in an inside cradle for a two count. When they stood up, Jericho put Castanoli down with a code breaker. Jericho stands up, calling for Castanoli to get up because um, he wanted to go for the Judas effect. When Castanoli got up, Castanoli stuffs the Judas effect. Castanoli does the spin on Jericho until the referee eventually, out of nowhere, calls for the match to end as Jericho um, submitted mid-swing in 17 minutes, 10 seconds, as Claudio Castanoli becomes a two-time ROH champion. So I thought it would have been better served to chop like three or four minutes off of this match, especially with the crowd already having emotionally climaxed in the double dog collar. So, yeah, you didn't need a 17 minute main event after double dog collar, but they had to they had to wrap this story up. So I, I get it. Felt like it went a little too long. Loved the finishing stretch, which you heard off the top of this podcast, where Claudio swings Jericho and swings him. And between swing 26 and 27, Chris Jericho submits. He taps out to the giant swing. So that was a that was a great finish. I'm sure Jericho came up with it. Seems like classic Jericho idea, you know? Yeah, exactly. So uh yeah. Confetti shoots off, Castanoli celebrates, where Gabani had uh, mentioned that Castanoli had Jericho in the swing for 33 rotations. Uh, Wheeler, Yuta, Jerry Lynn enter the ring. They celebrate with Castanoli. Amarone's going crazy. Um, Gabani talks about how the year started off with uncertainty for ROH, and once Tony Quan acquired it, uh, it is now the heart of ROH is beating stronger than ever. So they, I get why Tony wanted Claudio and Yuta there, but they could have had that with the Briscoes and FTR. They could have done that exact same ending, that exact same blow line, and I think it would have landed better with Briscoes and FTR in the ring bleeding buckets, personally. I agree. I agree 100% with you. As if, if the, you know, you essentially couldn't end the show with non-AEW ROH wrestlers ending it, right? But if the FTR yeah. was there... You know, and again, I know there's a lot of rumors swirling about their future. Who knows what's going on there? Uh, but uh, whatever, you know, the ROH Championship closed the show. Casting a small, small complaint. It's a small, very small complaint. But you know, when the match was that good, when the match made literally everyone climax at the same time, where <laughs> men were pairing off with other men to start fights, and women were getting pregnant on the spot, you knew that that match was good. And that is exactly what happened at the end of the match. Look it up. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, so we're going to go three and a half Alaskan Malamutes out of five for this one. The Alaskan Malamute, a large breed of dog that was originally bred for its strength and endurance, known to be quite friendly. That reminds me of Claudio Castagnoli, bred for strength and endurance. Three and a half stars for this main event, and he is your new Ring of Honor champion. A very good show with one of the best wrestling matches I've ever seen, either number one or number two on the list to end the year. And the other match that's going to be one or two was Briscoe's versus FTR one. Yep, exactly. So we'll, we'll sort that out. That was the show. Overall, very good show. There wasn't really a bad match on the card. There were matches nope, worse than other. There were matches worse than other matches, but there wasn't a bad match. But the Briscoes and FTR carried the shit out of this match. Or out of this card. Yes, sir. Yeah, 12 for 12. Good matches all around. And it was a good way to to close out the year for Ring of Honor. And a good way to close out the year for the BAM boys doing these aftercasts. Now, I think our next aftercast is probably going to be Rassel Kingdom. Yep. Question will mark? Be, so we need to... It might be Stardom, the the uh, December 29th show, but for sure it'll be Wrestle Kingdom in the new year. We just got to figure out kind of what our schedules look like uh, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the level of enthusiasm on that Stardom card. But we will see exactly what's going on. But a perfect way to end the year on Sunday night's main event is for the best and the worst of 2022, which if you're a Patreon, uh, you have your ballot. We have extended the deadline given you until after Dynamite because you never know what can happen. I don't think we're going to get a better match out of uh, the year, but you just never know. Um, so the ballot for the best and the worst of 2022 has been extended until 11.59 on Wednesday, December the 14th. Get your ballot in. Get your voice heard. Uh, these shows are always a lot of fun to record, and they're always a lot of fun to listen back to. So that's what's going on there. That's that, my friend. That is that. Yeah, just excited for that year-end show that's coming soon. Be sure to fill out your ballots. Also, last patron standing has wrapped up. We have a champion. We're starting a new season. Check out Facebook for all the details there. Uh, and shout out to our champion, Ronnie M. Aguara. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, my friend, but yeah, I think the right man won this contest. He is getting a prize pack very soon, and we're going to start season two, January 4th, Wrestle Kingdom. You have to be a tier two patron here at a Sunday night's main event to play, but it's a lot of fun. And our first game lasted from February to December 2022. So this might be a full year project. You're you're taking you're taking on here. Yep, exactly. It started it started Royal Rumble, went up until uh deadline final battle day. What's a crazy year. So much wrestling that we've had, so much great wrestling that we had. Like I put on the Facebook group, we are just so so blessed to have all yes. this great wrestling, all this great entertainment. As the world is what the world does, it's just really good being able to watch some wrestling, talk about wrestling to the masses on these podcasts. So I want to thank everyone. Matt, as always, want to thank you for uh, being my partner in crime as we chat. Cheers, buddy. And navigate around the world of professional wrestling. That's it for today. Got the full week of shows coming at you. Best and worst. Get your ballot in. Patreon.com slash SNME radio. Uh, if you want to become a patron and get your late ballot in, 
Thank you for listening. He's Matt. I'm Boris. Till next time, stay tranquilo. Yeah, yeah, yeah.